0: series today and I'm excited about this. We just finished a series on prayer and uh, I have told a couple of people uh, that teaching series was probably one of the most personally challenging and equipping series that I've done uh, in my entire ministry career. I've never really stopped to take the time to look at what does the Bible actually say or teach us about prayer. And so uh, I'm grateful that we spent the time in there, but I want to follow up and remind you that scripture says don't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what? Do what it says, okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, do what it says, all right? This is the, this is the application of this, okay? It's a lot easier to say that to go, hey, you, you, you do what it says. And then I'm like, wait, I'm not doing what it says. So this is mutual, and this is why the church exists, okay, family? Uh, this is why we need each other, Because, and this is where our mission statement comes in as a church, to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. That's what it's all about. And today, I want to challenge you open your Bibles to Psalm 29, Psalm 29, and we're going to be in a couple, two, really two passages today uh, that will reference some others, but primarily we're going to be in Psalm 29 and uh, then Psalm 96 at the very end of our time today. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Grab that, use that, uh, that's what it's there for. My desire is that each one of you has your eyes on scripture, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what Pastor Matt has to say. Uh, It matters what God has already said. That's what we want to elevate. All right? Not me, not any of you, not us, Him. And uh, I want to make sure we return to that frequently. Uh, The same uh, truth applies to those of you online. And we want to welcome you here, those watching online with us. And uh, get your Bibles and open to Psalm 29. Uh, We want you to be there. And while you're turning there, um, we're going to... We're going to start this off uh, a little bit differently, okay? So, I want you to brainstorm with me a few items that, whether cognitively or not, are on your daily checklist, your daily to-do list. Shout them out. What are, I'm not going to get all of these, because I know you guys, as soon as I release you, you're just going to rapid fire. So I'm going to get as many as I can. It, what was it? Make, make, make your bed, Okay? All right, hold on, hold on. Make bed. Devotion. We'll just do devotions kind of all-encompassing. So that's devotions. I'm going to, ah! Don't go forward. All right. What was that? Gratitude journal, okay? Journal. Food! I was waiting for that. That's on my checklist. Oh, there it is. That too. When I sat down to do this, the first things I thought of were I need to eat and I need to have my coffee. coffee. Okay, all right. You could do it on your timeline, whatever it was. What is over here? Let the dog out. Okay. Text Text your mom. Shout. That's good. That's that's an important thing. <laughs> Don't want to start the day if we haven't done that. Now, though, some of you are maybe night showers, so that may already be done. But eventually, you need a shower. Ooh, workout! That's a good one. Oh, there was a lot there. I heard laundry. How many of you are like, I wish that wasn't on my to do list? Everyone. <laughs> Brush your teeth. Brush teeth. What else? Okay, we're putting prayer under devotions. What else? (laughs) Does nobody go to work? Some of you don't. Some of you are like, no, I'm retired. Work. Hey, I was waiting for that too. We showered, but we didn't put clothes on. hilarious but this is so here's what's interesting about this there's some of these things that we just don't even think about are on our to-do list right they just they're part of life and we just do them we don't really think about it what else is there anything else before we feed the dog, feed the dog. let dog out and feed that's important Wait, what was that make your to-do lists Thank you. I've, yes, that's me. And every, every day I have to sit down and actually make my list of what I'm going to do for the day. But there's a lot of this I don't include on that list. Shopping. Per- perfect. Chores. All right. So we could keep going on this for a long time. All right. Clean. All right. So my, and we'll reference back to this. Here's what I want to emphasize. Every one of us. Whether we realize it or not, uh, whether you are a list maker like me or not, you function with a list of tasks that every day you're just going to do. Now, here's what, here's what happens is your life in general as human beings becomes compartmentalized in everything. I have my home life. I have my work life. I have my church life. I have my parent life. I have my Marriage life I have you fill in the blank and in each one of these categories We put a number of to-do lists in order for me to be successful in these areas These are the things I need to commit to doing today or this week in order to sustain what happens each day While list making can be helpful and compartmentalizing can help us focus There is a dangerous road that the Western church, and really the church as a whole, is tempted to walk down when it comes to in what section of our life we prioritize worship. And in fact, if we were to step back and begin to evaluate and even take a poll on what we look at and say, I'm going to check the box of worship today, It would be associated with a specific action, usually on a specific day of the week, which is why all of you are sitting here right now. And we check that box on our weekly to-do list and we go about the next day and the rest of the week, potentially not thinking about worship again. And this is largely even increased because of the language we use. And it's not that it's wrong language, but it is language that has caused us to compartmentalize things like worship in a way that maybe distracts from what it's actually meant to be. When we say we want to step into worship now, we may inadvertently make worship about music. When we say let's gather and worship, we may mistakenly view worship as something that only happens when I am with other people. When we call this building the house of worship, we may mistakenly view this facility as the only place that worship can happen. And my desire in this teaching series is for us to look at what does the Bible actually teach us about what worship is and how it should be a priority in all of life. And so the beginning challenge that I want you to wrestle with is taking a list like this and asking the question, how do I make every single one of these things an act of worship? How do I do it and the main idea of this series is this when we see God for who he reveals himself to be all of life becomes worship when we see God for who he has revealed himself to be all of life becomes worship now I want to come to Psalm 29, and this is where I want us to sit. I want to read verses 1 and 2, which is really our focal point this morning. And then I'm going to pray that uh, God would use this series as another opportunity to just rethink the culture of who we are as the church and step into this with our eyes fixed on Him, desiring that what we define as worship would become what He has called us to do and to be. Psalm 29, verse 1, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Father, as we look at just even two verses in this, God, may you challenge our hearts. God, we ask for you to reveal in us the ways in which we taint that which should be focused solely upon you. Father, open our eyes to see how we as the church corporately can be a people who are not Sunday check a box. Followers of Jesus, but who are faithfully devoted to worshiping you for all of the, all of who you are. God, I pray for those here today who may not even have a grasp on who you are, that you would reveal yourself so evidently through your word and through the fellowship of believers here, that they would recognize their desperate need to depend upon you. In all of this, God, we celebrate the ability we have to worship you through what Christ has done for us, that we have a confidence rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done. We pray this all through him, our Savior. Amen. Ascribe to the Lord this statement's repeated multiple times in the first two verses and as i've told you before family when we see something in scripture repeated we need to take note of this it means this is important and we also need to understand that the psalms were songs these were songs written in worship out of worship and would have been played and sung corporately together, but would have also been sung individually as people went about their days. They would have learned these regularly. So if you can imagine a group of people singing in chorus together, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. We get a small glimpse of this, how the Psalms may have sounded when we engage together corporately in singing. But one of the things I just want to eliminate right off the top is this assumption that worship implies singing. Worship is more than singing. And some of you listening to this are going, oh, praise Jesus, because I cannot sing. It's a good thing, okay? God is not called everyone in the church to be people who feel like they can sing well. And think about that for a minute. Have you ever thought that if worship is about singing, then what do you do with the person who feels like they can't sing or they don't like to sing? Does that mean they can't worship? No. Absolutely not. What is worship? The first thing we really see here, is that worship is rooted in what we ascribe to God. And some of you may be going, oh, what what does a scribe even mean? And simply put, a scribe means to, uh, to refer to a supposed cause, a source or an author, to say or think that something is caused by, comes from or is associated with a particular person or thing. In other words, to say, what, what is it that God has revealed about Himself? And do I ascribe those things to Him? Who do I ascribe? Who do I see God to be? What does the text say? Ascribe to the Lord glory. Everyone say glory. Ascribe to the Lord strength. Everyone say strength. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. God is holy. Now, another question that comes up in this is, what is what is the heavenly beings? And some of your translations might say, um, mighty ones. And you might have a little footnote, and if you go to the bottom of your Bible, if you have that, it might say, or sons of God. And it would be a lowercase g. And, When you do some more study in this verse, what you realize is this statement is often what is used to describe false gods or other beings. The emphasis being simply this. Every other being is to ascribe what is due to the Lord only to Him. That God alone is sovereign. God alone is God. God alone is is worthy of glory. God alone is ultimately strong. God alone is holy. And if you have any question about that, we can go to several passages. Jeremiah 10.6, it says, There is none like You, O Lord. You are great, and great is Your name in might. That's Jeremiah 10.6. 1 Samuel 2.2 2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. That's 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. Deuteronomy 3.24 says, Oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Isaiah 46.9 says, Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Worship is rooted in In what we ascribe to God. Worship is also rooted. In what I long for. Now the interesting thing about this is. This is often closely tied to what we give to God. Or who we see God to be. Because at the end of the day. If we're really honest as human beings. We really want God to be like us, in the sense that God becomes an agent of my will. And so then, my ascribing to God sovereignty or control, and my ascribing to God the ability to do anything that He chooses to do within His will, is really rooted in this. And subconsciously, as the church, we start saying, well... If God is really good, and if God is really all-powerful, and if God is really in control, then this is how I think things should be. And as a result, my worship becomes more about me than it does about Him. Where does this show up? Honestly, church family, this tends to show up most in church bodies when it comes to what we associate with worship also the music This is a hot button topic in many church families Oh, it's got to sound like this. It's got to include these instruments. It's got to be this way or you know what? I don't like it this way Who are we worshiping? Now I want to say something personally. I am so grateful that I do not get this tension and struggle from you as our family. Now, I recognize there's probably been times in the past that has happened. I've had good conversations with people about this. So I'm grateful for that. I don't want you to think that in some way I'm coming down on you guys. But what I want us to recognize... Is that when we make worship about what we long for and what we long for is completely different than what God has said is true. Then you you have a brewing pot for conflict and tension. And in the process you fail to worship God. So worship true biblical worship is rooted in who I see God as. But it's also rooted in what I long for personally. What do, I, what, do I, what do I aspire to? Do I really hunger? Do I really desire who God is? And not the God I want Him to be. Do I really desire who God has said He is? Do I really desire relationship with the God who's revealed in all creation? The God who is over all of the universe, not just our country, not just our planet, not just our galaxy, not just the whole universe. And if you ever want to feel infinitesimally small, you should go do some study at just how big we think the the, the universe is. It will blow your mind. Because it does, you know what? Amazes me every time I pull up one of those models where you just keep zooming out and zooming out and zooming out It takes no time at all for earth to become invisible No time at all and you and I are tiny in the midst of our earth Think about that God God created all of this And he holds it all together Now you want a quick way to reset who we see God to be and a quick way to kind of just completely wander away or, or, or discard what we what we think should be, like that we want to control. It's really when you start thinking about it, it's laughable, isn't it? That we would we would think that somehow we know what's best. <laughs> that somehow we we know what, who God should be and what He should do. And somehow we, we know that we can identify what is really right and what is really true. My goodness, our heads are so big, and yet I just have to think in the midst of that, what can we ascribe to God when we recognize our own selfishness and our own sinfulness? Goodness, we can, we can ascribe mercy to Him. We can ascribe grace to Him. We can ascribe gentleness to him. Why? Because I see who I am and I see who he is. I am nothing. Flip over with me to Psalm 63 for a minute. I know I said we were going to be in two passages, but this one is important that we... This gives a great example of another psalm In, uh, in high school, uh, our youth group, uh, we did a, what's called the 30-hour famine once. Has anyone heard of that? You heard of that before? The 30-hour famine was meant to, for youth groups to engage in and spend, you go 30 hours without eating. And it's meant to bring recognition or awareness about uh, world hunger, about the needs of other uh, countries, and bring you to realize what you have that you often just take for granted. And if you've ever done an extended fast of any kind, and this was really kind of my first exposure to this as a high school student. And uh, as a high school student, it was was interesting, just because there lacked some maturity to really understand this. But as I look back, I, I see so many connection points here. When you have gone a long time without food, what are you thinking about? Food, right? Some of you are like, Matt, it's 1130. I'm thinking about food now. (laughs) How does that pertain to our longing for God? So often we are spiritually starved or famished. Or spiritually dehydrated. And yet, we continue to try to satisfy those longings with earthly things that just don't cut it. Here's what Psalm 63 says. "O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see the correlation? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. upholds me. Now, here, here's something in the midst of this that I want us to think about. Do we long for God? Do we as the church really long for Him? And the descriptive words here are, is as someone who thirsts and faints because they n- desperately need God's intervention as someone in a dry and weary land where there is no water, there is no earthly sustenance. Do I, do I long for God in that way? I know that there is many of you here that are going through what feel like desert seasons where you're, where you're struggling with where is God in the midst of this? Where is he? But what I want to challenge you with is to think, do you really long for God in the midst of the desert or do you long to be out of the desert? Because God is sovereign over all things. That means He's in control even when you're in the desert. What do you you long for? Worship is rooted in that. Your ability to worship truthfully, worship is rooted in the deepest desires of who you are. Do you, do you hunger for Him? Do you long for Him? Do you thirst for Him? Do you even realize you need Him? Psalm 29, at the end of that, it says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And another word for that is, We're in holy attire. In light of God's holiness, in light of who we see God is, who he's revealed himself to be, there is a call to worship. Now I haven't, until now I haven't specifically, I've defined a, a scribe, but you may be wondering, what, what is worship? And if we're to actually physically define worship, uh, worship is an action that looks like this. To worship is to bow down. And in fact, if you were to go through and you were to look at the uses of the word worship, you would see some interchange between its use as worship and its use as bow down. To worship is literally to bow yourself before another. from this, we can understand worship is a lot more about submission and dependence than it is about singing and devotions. Now, don't misinterpret this. Singing and devotions are absolutely a means of worship. But your singing and your devotional time is not in and of itself a box to be checked as worship. It is a small piece. True, biblical worship is rooted in my desire to submit to God's authority. True worship is rooted in my recognition that I am utterly dependent on Him. And if I cannot bring myself to long for Him because I'm dependent on Him... So therefore, I bow down before him. If I cannot bring myself to do that, then no matter what I try to worship, it will fall flat. Because at the heart, my issue becomes that I don't really long for God. I don't really yearn for him. My soul doesn't thirst for him. Now, this does not mean that somehow, sometimes there's going to be seasons of drought in our lives. It means that in the seasons of drought, I have to refocus. This is where accountability and community are so important, church family. Because there are times I'm wandering in the desert and I am not hungering for God and I need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside me and say, Hey, are you remembering who God has been for you? Do you remember His faithfulness? Do you remember what Scripture says about His mercy and His justice, His grace that is poured out abundantly, that He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? And in those moments when someone speaks those truths to you, don't be cynical. Oh, I know those things. I still just feel like junk. It's okay to feel like junk, but don't lose sight of Him. It's okay to wander in the desert. But don't lose sight of who sustains you in every season. Because when we can long, truly long for Him and long for His presence and long for His direction and His guidance, then true worship comes. And it doesn't just come on Sunday morning. This is the amazing thing about this church. We don't sing in worship, in the midst of our worship, we sing. We don't give generously of what we have in worship. In the midst of our worship, we live generously. We don't pray in worship. In the midst of our worship, we pray. We don't serve in worship. In the midst of our worship, we serve one another. You see the difference? When we see worship as the sole action... That we are called to in light of who God is and what he deserves. Worship becomes all things rather than me seeing some things as worship. The danger of associating some things with worship instead of all of life. Is that we limit God's presence to a few places. And therefore limit his influence in our lives to those same places. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can grow in Christ in your own home? Have you ever thought about you can grow in worship to the Lord in your workplace? Have you ever thought about that you can grow in worship to the Lord as you take a walk On a day like yesterday, all of life has the opportunity to be worship. But I have to choose to see it that way. And if you continue to just be comfortable checking a box and coming here on Sunday and saying, I did my spiritual thing for the week, I'm done, you will never experience true worship and devotion to God. It won't come. Because God never intended for this to be the place where worship exists. He intended for all of life to be worship in light of who He is. And my goodness, He is everywhere. He is in all things. In Matthew 15, Jesus criticized the Pharisees because He said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees were the most religious people around, and yet in the midst of that, they failed. They they literally worshipped God in vain. Think about it. You you can worship the Lord and it be completely pointless. You can waste your time going through the motions, and it means nothing. And he said, their heart is far from me. The contrast to this is actually in John chapter 4. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This was Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. And it's that you're not just to worship externally, but there's to be an internal dynamic to my worship. What does that look like? It looks like a heart committed to who God is. When we see God... For who he reveals himself to be, all of life becomes worship. So how do we apply this? I just want to give you three things to be challenged with and think about this week. Number one, seek to ascribe to God what he is due. How do I do that? Read your Bible. And I'll be more specific. Read the Old Testament, church. God gave us the whole counsel of His Word for a reason. Read the Old Testament and you will see aspects of who God is that you won't see in other places. Seek to give to God or ascribe to Him what He is due. As Psalm 29 would say, glory and strength, holiness. There's so much more. Make a list. Secondly, identify how you have defined worship. Worship. And then redefine it biblically. We're going to do that a little bit together over the next few weeks. But I want you to be able to write down, how have you defined worship? What is, what does that, how has that looked in the past? And then ask the question, how has God said that should look? Lastly, steward each part of your life in worship to God. So this ultimately takes us back, right? It's gone. Okay, But I want you to think about that. That daily checklist that we came up with. How can I make every part of my day worship to the Lord? This goes in tangent right along with what we talked about at the end of last week. How do we pray without ceasing? This, this correlates. These two tie together perfectly. When we see God for who he reveals himself to be, all of life becomes worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to sing in a minute. We're going to, we're going to sing a song, 10,000 Reasons. Um, but before we do that, turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. <clears throat> At the beginning of Psalm 96, you have this exhortation to sing to the Lord. And after today, my hope is that you realize uh, singing isn't worship. We worship in all of life and then have the opportunity to sing as a piece of that. And I would just challenge you, when you're questioning what worship should look like, Reference Psalm 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Do you know what? We're going to stand. In honor of God's word, before we sing, we're going to stand as we read this. Let's stand together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. When we begin to see God for who He is, then we begin to understand what worship is supposed to be. I pray that as we step into this time together, church, that we would grow to be a people who worship in all of life. And then when we gather together, we worship together as a continuation of what we've been doing as we go about our week together. Father, as we come to you in this, we recognize that we often don't long for you in the way that we should. God, that we are often reliant upon ourselves. God, may you challenge us as the church. May you help us to see clearly what Scripture has called worship to be. That we would bow in your presence in submission to who you are. And seek to glorify you and only you. In the name of Jesus that we pray this.